previously on The Avatar Returns. Let's move on to another property that appropriates Asian culture. Oh, Jesus. AJ, I beg you to stop everything. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I am usually thinking about Gizmo from Gremlins to the new batch. And I'm sorry I like derailed the talk what this episode's actually about, talk about Iroh's ripped chest, but... Significant, devastating lack of DiCaprio. Wow, you've ruined one of the most fun things about this show. Sokka has a meteor sword. Oh my god, that is just that is the coolest thing. What they really needed was him saying, I'm boomerang guy, that's my thing, and then like Toph doing the, is this a penis metaphor? My father decided to teach me a permanent lesson on my face! <laughs> that was nice. That was a rare moment of, a, of agreement between the two of us. I appreciate that. I'm not going to get used to it, but I liked it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm Arlo. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Uh, this week, we're back at last with more book three. Tonight, we'll be talking about chapters 306, The Avatar and the Fire Lord, 307, The Runaway, and 308, The uh, Morbid and Creepifying, The Puppet Master. So uh, Eric and I have seen both of these series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar. That means there will be spoilers, but only up to the point we're discussing tonight. Um, that uh, assumes, of course, that uh, AJ, you're going to survive um, so why don't you set the stage for the uh, the Walking Dead episode that we're about to indulge ourselves in and explain to everybody at home what state you're in. Hi, everyone. My <laughs> name's Arlo. I'm here tonight for this podcast. He's, um, he's only here for the participation award. You know, you know what would be interesting is if you took the last episode of Gobbledygeek where we discussed 10 Cloverfield Lane. You listen to that where I'm like, like, ha ha, I'm sick. Um, but I still sound all right. And then listen to this, which was recorded almost exactly 48 hours later. Listen to how much more I've died since then. <laughs> Just like, listen to this happening. Witness me. Oh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, you guys. It's just been one of those winters for me. I've been getting sick continually, repeatedly. And... It's finally, it's finally come to this. What can I say? I mean, nice I, knowing you guys. I, I, has it? Has it though? Has it really? <laughs> no. Um, no. I think that this is a delayed cruise crud. It's possible because I was on a Disney cruise. Uh, that's part of the reason we had a little bit of a hiatus recently. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that because I, I the reason I waited uh, to talk about that on this show is because Eric, you are. A what I believe they call a Disney person. I'm I'm at least a Disney person by proxy. Okay, all right, that that's fair. Um, but I uh, my only experience with Disney uh, had been I went on a Disney cruise five years ago, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, so I went on another one this time. Plus we got a day at Magic Kingdom, uh, and I had never been to Disney World ever before. Um, the cruise was amazing. Uh, I, I feel like cruises get kind of a bad rap. And yeah, you will never feel more um, like, I don't know, there's a certain amount of when you're at uh, one of the restaurants on board the ship, which are like legitimate, like five star dining experiences. You, I mean, you can order 
as much as you want, and no one will bat an eye and look at you and, and ask you to reconsider your life decisions. <laughs> um, so at each dinner we attended, I ordered uh, two appetizers and two entrees. Um, like Holy in, in cow, a, man. In addition to like, you know, super salad, dessert, all that. <laughs> because I could. Um, so you definitely like, as as you're like, Eating a ribeye and then, like, you know, eating half of a massive pork chop and, and, you know, not eating less than half of either and just, like, watching the servers take it away. That's the closest I've ever come to feeling, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm white. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a rich white person. I think we're zeroing in on uh, perhaps what your ailment is right now. What's that? Oh, eating all of the food? Yeah, excess. I think you've oh. eaten yourself to death. I, I did, and I will say this. I my worst. So, long time listeners may know I've uh, over the last couple of years I've lost quite a bit of weight. I've been very healthy. Um, well, no, clearly not, as you can hear. Um, but uh, my worst case scenario for going on the trip, and I didn't think this was going to happen at all. But I was like, I'm going to get back, and I'll have I'll have gained ten pounds. Ha ha ha. Um, I got back from vacation. I had gained 11 pounds. <laughs> so Bravo. Overachiever, man. I was, that was a rude awakening. Reach for the stars, my friend. Reach yeah. for the stars. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, so the cruise was great. Uh, Magic Kingdom was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I assume, uh, again, this is my first time ever going to Disney World. I assume, I mean, obviously the whole thing is geared toward families and kids, but I imagine Magic Kingdom is the most geared toward little kids. Um which was fitting because we had a couple of little kids with us. Uh, we just we picked them up uh, outside the park. Um, <laughs> There's plenty of them running around. I, I mean. know, just snatched up a couple. Uh, but it was fun, though. I will say I had a very rude awakening uh, on the ship. You know, ate as much as I wanted. No consequences besides 11 pounds, apparently. Um, get off the day. Day I get off the ship go to Disney World, suddenly, not only am I paying for food again, I'm paying for food again at Disney World prices. Yeah. Um, I, for two salads and two bottles of water, I spent $25 at Disney World. Yep. You, I'll tell you, I'm glad that you finally got to um, experience, for even in the tiniest measure, um, Disney World. So uh, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. You didn't get the real experience if you didn't get to... Uh, enjoy the magic band experience i know and i saw those people running around with those and i kept i kept flashing back to uh to you and pam god it's a magical time <laughs> so for for aj and the the listening public i want to i want to give you a little bit of a disney pro tip which is that you the trick to not spending exorbitant money at disney is for food is to not buy a meal individually for each person because their meals are actually pretty huge on top of being expensive. So if you have someone you can split them with, you actually are getting more than enough food for you to feel completely fine eating. Like save your you're getting my big meal for like a worthwhile meal. But while you're in the park and you get like a plate of chicken fingers or whatever the hell you're getting, split it. If you, I mean, if you're there by yourself, then certainly you're going to eat the thing. But then you don't need to eat as often anyway, so it won't it won't matter. And I've been, I've been there. Um, but generally speaking, getting a meal per person is how Disney suckers you. So, AJ, today you're the sucker 
That's fine. You should have you should have asked for my pro tip. That's fine. Um, that you know, and actually, that was a really. I went to. Um, I f I forget which uh, which restaurant it was. It was it was in Fairytale Land, I think. Um, but I I got the the Caesar salad. That was not like a legitimately like really good Caesar salad. I mean, their food yeah, is it great. was their food it was is great. expensive, but it was it was really good. Um, and then toward the end of the day. Um, we were about to leave. I was at one of the gift shops and I was so hungry and I knew it was going to be at least an, a couple hours before we were, you know, we were out of the park and had driven far enough to our destination for the night that we were going to have dinner. So I was like, there's got to be something in here I can buy to like sate my hunger. So I wound up buying a Rice Krispie treat for five goddamn dollars because it was shaped like fucking Mickey Mouse. I'm trying to come up with some version of the Pulp Fiction. Did you just buy a $5 milkshake? That's milk and ice cream for $5. <laughs> the, those those Rice Krispie treats are like toxic levels of sugar, too. Yeah. I believe it. And it wasn't they, even that that great. If, if you There's <laughs> this candy the store. like dipped in chocolate. There's a, be glad you didn't go to the candy store on downtown Disney where they sell them and you can get them covered in whatever you want. Like you could just keep fucking adding sugary coverings to it. <laughs> and my first time in Disney, Aaron did that. And Air, even Aaron, the queen of being able to eat like a whatever size sugary snack, like like she can, she has no. I there's a level of sugar that it sends me into shock. She's good <laughs> all the way. Even she couldn't finish this thing. She was like, yeah, this was a mistake. And literally, and all the time I've known her, I've never heard her say that again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this is just one of like the little prepackaged ones, and it, it, you know, it didn't. I want to say it got the job done. It didn't. I ate it. It still was starving. It's like, why did I do this to myself? So the reason you feel the way you do right now is you have uh, ten pounds of undigested red meat in your stomach, topped with an entire Mickey Mouse uh, Rice Krispie treat. It's true. What All just sitting there right now. Just, just, just sitting there. Uh, I do, I do want to stand in solidarity with you, AJ. I am actually also sick. I don't sound it. I, I, I hesitate to call myself sick, but I am actually I'm sitting here next to my bottle of pink antibiotics. I have to say they're the cutest, the cutest pills I've ever gotten in my life. Um, <laughs> and I, I went. I have a sinus infection, which I caught off of a coworker on my trip. So I came back with travel crud as well. Wow. So, that's well, I just terrible. had a migraine yesterday. I feel fine now, but I had a migraine. Oh, yesterday. good for you, Paul. Yeah, good for you. No, I'm sorry to hear that, Eric. I hope you feel better. Um, well, hey, when, so, so, oh, go ahead. When I was on the trip, two of the friends I went with um, both got sick enough during the trip that they lost their voices. So, yeah, this was destined. This was always going to happen. Man, you you need to be inoculated before you go on any more vacations you need to be quarantined I, I disagree i'm actually really excited because this means that i can spend way less time listening to aj's opinions today <laughs> wow i mean you know what that's true you gotta you gotta find the silver lining eric yeah. well what's probably gonna happen is we'll get just as many opinions it will just take him twice as long to say them. oh god that's don't true. say that that's so tough no so before we move on because aj just talked about food so much and eric you <laughs> mentioned your trip uh, just briefly because i'm excited about this on your trip, you finally uh, experienced one of the food pleasures that AJ and I have been praying for you to experience. It's true. I was in Austin for the first half of my trip, and I, this is my third trip to Austin. And every time I have gone, 
AJ and Paul have been riding my ass to go to Torchy's Tacos. <laughs> and the last two times I did not get to go because I wasn't close enough to, like, make my lazy ass go there. But this last time I was within walking distance. Now, for me, walking distance is like a mile. But I was like a mile away, so it was like a totally okay walk. And I went to Torchy's Tacos. Uh, the, there's one that's in a, like, they, they was like the trailer park food truck area is what it was. Hmm. So it was like... This, like, all the food trucks look like trailers, and there was, like, a little, like, eating area. And I finally got to have Torchy's Tacos, and they were they were pretty phenomenal. Yes. I won't lie. After all the buildup, you never know what you're going to get. And you might go and be like, I don't know. I've had, like, 30 better tacos than this. But <laughs> it was it was definitely a, amongst the better tacos I've had. I, I was very – I re- and they had a great variety of interesting things. I had what they called the – Crap, I can't think what it was. Maybe it was, maybe it was like, it was something, it was like fried chicken in it, which was like the wrong, like not an authentic taco to get. But the guy who was behind the counter, like, was like, you have to get this and get it dirty, which meant they had queso <laughs> on it. And then I got like a chili, a green chili pork, like a pulled pork kind of thing. Nice. So it was also pretty, pretty fucking good. So yeah, thank you for keeping on me to make sure that if I'm ever back in Austin again, I will make sure I go again. Very good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, man, torchies. I still, I still dream about it. Uh, was it, was it last week, or like, was it like around the same time you were there that Obama went to a torchies? Uh, I just, Paul told me this. I just missed it. I, I was, I missed South by Southwest by maybe a week, and okay. so, um, which I didn't even realize. I didn't realize how close I was to being in the middle of the apocalypse. Um, but I got out. <laughs> I got out in time. And yeah, apparently he went to a Torchy's while he was there. So I, I imagine he went to a different one than the one I went to because there's no way the Secret Service would have let him come anywhere near <laughs> anywhere I was just because I'm a walking disaster area and I probably like tripped over a cord and made it entirely <laughs> unsafe. But um, so I don't know where he went, but that's pretty cool that he went to Torchy's. I want to know what he got. I want to know what the people he ordered. He ordered because uh, I. I, I don't know what their menus usually like, but I guess they had special tacos. They had a Republican, a Democrat, and, and an Independent, and he ordered all three. Oh, look at – I love my president. <laughs> bringing, bringing all the sides of the aisle together. Yes. <laughs> yes, bringing all the taco toppings together. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. One nation under salsa. Under torchies. <laughs> yes, one nation under torchies. Hey, I mean, Lady Liberty does carry a torch. Very true. Oh, Very man. true. Man, there's marketing possibilities here. All right. Before we uh, fall down that rabbit hole, let's uh, get to the show proper. Um, AJ, Arlo, whatever we're supposed to call you now. <laughs> you are our, whatever you want, man. You are our noob. And while you are still alive, you, uh, I will continue to give you the responsibility of introducing us to each of these episodes. So take us away with the Avatar and the Fire Lord. So when I saw the, or when I heard the title for this episode, the last time we did one of these a couple weeks ago, I was like, wow, that's, that's really early in the season for, uh, for Aang to be uh, confronting Ozai. I was like, that's, that's crazy. Like, they're really getting to this, you know. Uh, but I was pleased to discover that, so I, I am a sucker for flashback episodes mm-hmm. um in most any show and the closest parallel i can think of uh for for the uh avatar and the fire lord is actually the rare flashback episode that i'm not crazy about which is um across the sea on lost 
where toward the end of that series, like, and I, I think in that case it was literally the penultimate episode, uh, we get a flashback as to the the, the good and evil right. uh, battle raging throughout that entire series. Um, however, I think this is much better than uh, Across the Sea. I think this is the best of the three episodes uh, we're discussing tonight. Uh, and basically we find out... So Aang, uh, you know realizes that he needs to hear uh, Avatar Roku's story at the same time uh, Zuko is made aware that, uh, or, or it's suggested to Zuko that he learned about his uh, great-grandfather's yes. yeah, great-grandfather's demise being F- Fire Lord Sozin. Um, and then that's when we find out that uh, Roku and Sozin were best buds. They were, they were pals, and it all went horribly wrong resulting in the conflict that still rages to this day. Well, that was very dramatic. Well <laughs> Eric, what'd you think? Yeah, I, 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 I really love this episode. And this is one of those ones that I was looking forward to, but didn't remember the details of particularly well. Like I knew, I remember the flashbacks, but I had forgotten the reason for the flashback structure. Specifically, I had forgotten Zuko's side mm-hmm. of this, which is actually really important. Um, in fact, I don't even think I remembered that Zuko, the revelation at the end that Zuko's maternal great-grandfather is Avatar Roku. That was something that I had just either had never set into my brain or I had forgotten. So that was a delight to hit that. But this is just a really good episode. It's funny, AJ, that you brought up Across the Sea. I never would have thought that. And for a second, I was like, oh, my God, does he think this episode is Across the Sea bad? <laughs> so um, so I'm glad that that was not the case. But I really, well, the thing I really like about this episode in particular is that they treat, and it's the point of the episode, but that they treat uh, Fire Lord Sozin as a human being. And this is a guy we've known as nothing but his genocide that's all we know about him and the show does nothing to excuse that in treating him as a human being up to that point but they still treat him as a person through this entire episode and it makes the what happens overall to the world a lot more tragic and it actually reflects really interestingly on zuko so i was i was very fond of the way they handled that this um the, the three episodes we're discussing, the three chapters we're talking about tonight, um, at least the first and the third, are pretty significant for the mythology of the show and pretty dark. Um, yeah. We talk like every it seems like every podcast we do, we're talking about, oh, this episode was dark. But uh, these two in particular have some darkness to them. Like um, this one gives us the the origin story for the hundred year war. Um, and it's got some surprising, uh, parallels to like the real world. Um, so in this, the fire nation is apparently, um, the empire of Japan, uh, with their, uh, Sozin's decision to sort of, uh, share the wealth and prosperity of the fire nation with the rest of the world, his rationalization for, you know, invading the earth kingdom and all that, that so closely follows the, the Japanese imperialism of world war two, that it clearly was intentional. Like, I mean, the, the, uh, I can't remember, I could look it up, but I'm not going to, there, there was a name for the, uh, the justification that Japan used for invading China, but it, it was basically 
couched in this premise, the idea that the, they weren't waging war on the world or, or they weren't invading China. They were spreading the, uh, the prosperity. The yeah. Yeah. I, it's what the, I like great, the great East Asia co-prosperity sphere is what they called it. That's terrifying. <laughs> Uh, what, and what I like about that is when Sozin introduces that, we know that is obviously given, you know, real world history and what, what we know of for the present day of the show, that's a bad thing. But the way he describes it to Roku, it sounds, it's, you know, he convincingly lays it out as something that, you know, he believes, you believe he believes this is like the best thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for everyone, and it's only when Roku calls him out on it that you know it's made apparent that this is not a good thing. But I like that because that's usually how evil things happen. It's not. I mean, look at what's happening in America today. Um, you know, it's usually someone lays out a plan that seems maybe it's not the best, but it seems kind of reasonable. So why not? And then it snowballs from there, or fireballs in this case. <laughs> What what really um what really works about the the setup with a lot of this for like the way it impacts the larger series is that it finally gives an interesting seating to why Sozin went after the Air Nation first. It wasn't even mm-hmm. just sort of like this wall take out the Avatar. There's a personal feeling now to what he decided to do. Like that the Air Nomads were his first attack because he obviously knew that was going to be where the next Avatar was going to be and there's a deep personal fear of the avatar like it's not just a generalized fear of the avatar sozin is obviously terrified of the avatar because he yeah. actually stopped fighting after roku spared him after yeah. roku kicked the crap out of him and that and for someone like that for a for a person who is that sure of their own strength and power to have had someone beat them so badly is something they could never let exist so it gives an, an urgency to what Sozin did that I really like. And it's the, I love that um, Sozin's fear of the avatar cycle, like the, his personal connection. I love how that's the dark mirror to sort of the, uh, the message that Aang is meant to get out of all this, that, um, that, you know, friendships can, can survive multiple lifetimes or whatever. Like at the, at the end of the episode, you've got Toph saying, do you really think it's, do you really believe it's possible for a friendship to, to survive lifetimes or whatever? And they're looking at that in a hopeful way, sort of, you know, implying we'll always be friends. Um, Sozin obviously thinks of that another way. He's like, well, my friend Avatar Roku is dead, but my friend Avatar Roku is going to come back. Um, yeah, I just, I just like the, yeah, the that, yeah that, that's true. That. Um, and I think it's also sort of a hopeful, uh, message to the Aang gang, at least, or, or to Aang personally, that, uh, because this reminded me of when he says, one, I love that Toph says, it's like these people are born bad, and Aang is very sure to say, no, mm-hmm. that's, that's wrong. Um, and he mentions that, uh, if anything, their story proves anyone is capable of great good and great evil, which goes back to, I forget the episode, I think it might have been in the first season, um, where uh, there, there were like another set of characters that were, like one was from, from the Fire Nation, one was from a different 
uh, nation, but they were still friends, and that was sort of paralleled with the Ang Zuko thing, and maybe they could possibly be allies. Yeah, that Um, was that was from the Blue Spirit at the end when uh, when Ang was like, uh, you know, my best friend Kuzan. Right, uh, was that's from the right. Fire Nation. If you know, if things were different, do you think you and I could ever be friends? That's right, and that's kind of reminded me of that as well with the way Aang and Zuko are paralleled so heavily in general, and in this episode in particular. Like maybe, maybe there is still hope there uh, that they could be friends or allies. Um, and that uh, we, we hey, we get to hear uh, Iroh speak really. I was going to say that we really needed to address this. Yeah. The first soon. first time in book three that we hear Iroh speak. Uh, his, so it's it's Greg Baldwin right now, obviously, after the passing of Mako. And he does a very commendable job. I agree. I feel. He's not Mako, but, again, very commendable job. He, he tries really hard. And, I guess, and again, it helps that they didn't have... Iroh speak for seven episodes so that the memory of of Mako's voice isn't quite as keen Mm -hmm. in your mind when he does it definitely felt weird to me this time the same way it did the first time through I remember getting more um, okay with it as time went on and it certainly isn't bad but it's it's he does as good of a job as he can but it it's weird to me it definitely it's definitely weird and it's sad but it's also just weird yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. I didn't realize this until I was uh, scanning over the list of episode titles of chapter titles for the entire series that uh, each book gets one episode that is titled the avatar something. So in book one, you had the avatar returns uh, in book two, you had the avatar state. And in book three, now we've got uh, the avatar and the fire Lord. Interesting. And in the other ones, they were the season openers, correct? It was um, the second. It was the second chapter of book one and the first chapter of book two. Ah, interesting. Okay. Uh, One thing I really liked about this episode is that we get uh, through uh, Roku's flashbacks, we get a look at what it was like uh, for the Avatar in a world where you know, the hundred year war wasn't going on where he could freely and openly, you know, travel between worlds. There was, uh, not worlds, uh, nations nations, and there was no, you know, impending deadline of doom. And we got to see, you know, he got to spend years, you know, developing and honing his skills and really becoming a master. And if anything, I think that puts, uh, uh, Aang's journey in an even greater context because now we see, you know, we've known that this is, you know, this is Rush. This is not how th- this is usually done. He's, he's got to hurry and do this under secrecy. And that, th- that really brings it home like, like, oh yeah, he has not afforded any of the opportunities Roku had. So he has to do, uh, you know, he has to succeed where Roku failed while at the same time being at a tremendous disadvantage. You know, I, w- I was thinking about that since we've discussed it a few times on the show. Um, the the nature of Aang's um, limited time frame to to learn completely impossible skills. I was thinking of that as I was watching this chapter, and um, I th- I think it actually I think it makes me appreciate what's going on with Aang more, perhaps than when we've previously talked about it. It's kind of been um, Eric. I think you in particular kind of look down on the idea of characters that are just 
have to rush through something and they, they need to develop these amazing skills in a super fast amount of time. Um, and I tend to agree with that, but I think watching this and getting an example of Avatar Roku spending, you know, a couple decades, 25 years, I think they said it was, um, studying the other styles and learning how to be the avatar and all that because it was a different world because there wasn't uh, the sense of impending doom because there wasn't an actual war happening at the time I feel like Avatar Roku and perhaps many of the avatars before that were were maybe less adept even than Aang because Aang is um, he's learning out of desperation like he's he's cutting corners admittedly but he's learning you know it's his trial by fire literally whereas roku had to you know kind of take his time and I, that's part of the reason why roku was so like you know that's why he spared his friend sozin that's why sozin was able to quietly establish colonies in the earth kingdom while roku wasn't even paying attention the, the it's you know the other side of the coin of my irritation with how fast Aang has to learn, which is not like I, I accept it in the show. Like it's part of the show. You accept it or you don't. Mm -hmm. But um, is that this episode does show what a fully properly trained avatar can do, which mm -hmm. is basically kick the ever loving snot out of everyone. So it does. The other side of it is that Aang is so powerful that the only thing that keeps um, so Ozai a real threat is his lack of training. Right. That a, a avatar who had more enough time to train would not be would not have any problem popping into the Fire Kingdom and punching Ozai in the face. Right. You know, not that they would solve all the problems, but regardless, like he would not be at fear of facing anyone because uh Roku smashes Sozin when they fight. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. not even it's not even like a contest. He pops in, yells, and beats the shit out of him. And and is only defeated by Sozin, not even really defeated by Sozin, but uh, he only dies because Sozin betrays him uh, when he's at his weakest, like <laughs> throws him in a volcano. And, and even then doesn't face him. He just leaves. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, Roku battles a volcano, guys. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. cool. That was pretty cool. <laughs> it was totally cool. And who else noticed... All right, so the whole volcano sequence, I I thought it was great. Um, I thought they did, um, you know, I, I've grown up watching a lot of Discovery Channel. I've seen lots of science programs about, you know, uh, Pompeii and, and that kind of stuff. So I, I was fascinated by how accurately they portrayed an erupting volcano, complete with the pyroclastic flow that overtakes the town and uh, all that stuff. Um, but did anybody else notice Roku when he was, um, he, I guess, heat bending, basically, when he was standing on the rim of the volcano and he was, like, drawing away the heat from the lava to make it cool off? He was using the exact same style, the exact same motion and gesture um, to redirect all that heat, to channel it through his body and then out through his fingers, that Iroh taught Zuko to lightning bend. Was that Roku? I thought that was Ozai who did that. No, no, that that was Roku. So I thought it was Ozai who did the heat, the Iro style heat bending. I thought it was when Ozai shows up was the when we saw that, and I thought it was Ozai who was doing that. No, it was it was uh, that was Roku and Sozin 
I'm sorry. Oh my God, Sozin is who I meant to say. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. I thought it was Sozin doing it. Was it? Now I need to I, double check. I oh thought man. it was Roku. Damn. I thought it was Sozin oh doing it. All right, hang which, on. Which, <laughs> which, which, which would make some sense, given that Iro does it, and Iro is not related to Roku, but is related to. Let's find out. All right, well, talk about your. Yeah, while you're searching for that, let's point out that Sozin is voiced by Ron Perlman. Yes. Um, which I did not, like, throughout the episode, I was trying to place the voice, uh, and afterwards I saw it was Ron Perlman. I was like, well, damn, that's why he was so great. I really loved his performance as Sozin. It brought a lot of uh, a lot of gravity to the part. Yeah, he was great. I didn't realize that was Ron Perlman at all, that he was yeah. fantastic. yeah. Did you find it out yet, Paul? Uh, you are absolutely correct. That was Sozin. My bad. Wow, I'd never get these things right. I want everyone to take a moment to appreciate that I got something right for I, once. I, I'm applauding you. You are it's, absolutely correct. I, was... I totally spoiled it by getting the name wrong, but <laughs> I got the I got the uh, the. But yes, anyways, that was I. That's actually the reason I remembered is because that's what I thought was like. Oh, it makes sense. It's kind of an Iros family yeah thing. it's a family it's a family okay so so paul eric just well actually do you he did he did oh snap that was that was very uh privileged white male of you thank you i do it um what else did we get uh we we got to see young gyatso oh yeah monkey, I, I was so excited to see the return of monkey yahtzee <laughs> <laughs> been a while been a he, while he wasn't a monkey yet though he was no not yet he was just not yahtzee yet. <laughs> um, let's see. Roku's dragon's name was Fang. I thought that was okay. Yeah. Sure, Fang. Whatever. Um, if you had a dragon, you wouldn't call it Fang. Eh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, what else did we have for this episode? I that that was the stuff that really stuck out for me. Okay. For this one. Um. All right. Well, then we can move on to uh, chapter three hundred seven, the Runaway, Arlo. In which um, Toph, Aang, and Sokka all become like hardcore criminals, just like straight up unrepentant. Like they break we're doing, bad. We're doing crimes. They break bad. Uh, and I have to say, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a fun episode. But at the same time, like given the past characterization of Aang, is this something he would find acceptable? The, granted, they are pretty low-level scams, but they are clearly scams. Clearly not the best thing to be doing. Obviously, there are consequences to what they do. Um, but is this something Aang would have gone along with? I, I trust me. I get Katara being the the objector here. That makes sense. But would I, I don't. I kind of feel like Aang might have been on her side. Aang's journey into Slip and Jimmy territory was in fact very fast. <laughs> <laughs> <That's beautiful. laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I didn't have a problem with it, I guess, because I think the first time, like the first scam, it's clearly uh, like, I mean, they're, it's the implied at least that they're scamming scam. They're cheating cheaters. So that's true. I, but I, even I, Aang was, is usually against that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, a, a, initially it's played off a little, you know, it's shown to be a little bit playful, I guess. So, um, but if you think about it, we get a montage of, of, you know, several scams after that. And I'm trying to remember. It's all over a period of three days. They do this. Yeah. It's they build an, they're, they're in the empire business. Yep. It's a criminal empire. Um, uh, Kingpin Toph. Um, but I'm trying to think of the other things that we see. 
And um, the only one that I specifically remember we only saw Toph involved in was the the uh, hammer, like the carnival thing right. where you swing the hammer. I didn't didn't see Sokka or Aang involved in that one at all. I'm trying to remember if they were involved in any of the others. But oh yeah, well Sokka is impersonating an officer of the law. Yes, that's true. Uh, so we, we got he got to wear his Wang Fire beard, which sounds awful, but that's what it was. <laughs> it was his Wang Fire beard again. And uh, this is a family show, Paul. Uh, and Aang at one point is, is like super excited to go do some scams. Like I did, I didn't write down the line, but he gets like super jazzed about it. Right. The, look, we can't go any further with talking about this until we address something really important about this episode that that cannot go any further. More, which more is important it, than Wang Firebeard. Come on. It opens with my least favorite narrative device oh yeah and i yeah, knew that's... we were in bad territory as soon as it hit i was oh, like are man. you serious we're gonna do the it opened and i was like they're gonna do the like week one week late earlier thing aren't they they're gonna do the one week oh three three days earlier there we go i do hate that i hate the in media res opening that then backtracks to oh my gosh you know, and, and and it's just totally a scam of a, it's it is a scam too oh, like it's like oh whoa did she betray Toph? which of course she didn't like no we know she didn't but they have to pretend like it so they can get up to – and really – so I'm not a huge fan of this episode. This was a, a distracting episode. I don't hate it or anything except for that the only real part of the episode was everything after that in media res thing. Like once Combustion Man comes shows up, it actually turns into something resembling an episode. Although there are a couple of good scenes before then with mm-hmm. mostly the Sokka um, Toph scene talking about Katara. Yeah. But – yeah, Mostly I, this episode doesn't get going until until they're kidnapped, until they're arrested. I think I think the value of this episode, besides it just being a fun episode, which I thought it was. I mean, you get um, you know Madam Fussy Britches, Mud Slug, Hockey, and my, my favorite Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Yes. Uh, you, you we'll talk about him in a minute, but we we get all that stuff. I think the value of this episode though is that it it uh, sort of pays off a little on. The Katara Toph tension that has always been there, but usually gets like you know played off or brushed aside, and it really does uh, deal with that. And it deals with the fact that uh, Toph comes to terms with uh, the fact that you know even though she was so thrilled to to be the runaway, um, her parents, even though her parents you know might have might have the wrong uh, you know desires for her. Um, are still probably pretty hurt that she ran away. And then Katara has sort of always been stuck with this motherly role. And I I really like the way it, it played with all of that. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes is, um, is Katara eavesdropping like inadvertently overhearing Sokka and Toph talking and her reactions to that. And then her ultimate reaction is to she wants to pull off the ultimate scam with Toph, which, I mean, it makes perfect sense, Sokka, or Sokka, Katara being the kind of person she is, the mother who is, who, you know, frowned on all of these scams, uh, that hers would be the one that goes south so terribly. That's true. That's true. It, yeah, I mean, she's batted. It was a good, it was honestly a pretty good scam. Yeah. If, if they hadn't been being traced by a bounty hunter, which, by the way, no one decided to point out when they were like, we shouldn't be running scams. No one was like, hey, there's a guy with a third eye who shoots laser beams coming after us. Maybe a high profile by the blind earthbender mm-hmm. might not be our best play. <laughs> yeah. Here. But my no favorite, one knows. 
my favorite part of Katara's uh, scam is when she turns Toph in, she goes, doing the right thing is its own reward. And the guy's like, I'm happy to hear you say that. And her response is, but I, I still want the actual reward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite part. Uh, so, hey, I have a question. Uh, so, okay. Toph can metal bend. She can't wood bend. Nope. Wood, wood is not earth, right? Uh, I mean, but it, I, you you could make it some. Grows, it grows from the earth. You, you could jump through hoops and find some like Marvel X Men explanation for why they <laughs> why Earthbenders should be able to bend trees too, but they've set it up. The only reason the Foggy Swamp uh, tribe could do what they did is because it's the vines. The water. Yeah, the water and the vines. So. And I I guess I get that, but I feel like with with the, I I don't know. Uh, there's got to be a sect of of earthbenders out there that are uh uh that that bend like organic matter like wood and and, and plant life and I mean things like that. I mean hey I I loved the 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 gimmick or whatever of throwing her in a wooden cell especially since I mean it it foreshadows the fact that they know who she is they know who right. they've got um but my thought had always been as as she's being drugged into the into the jail, they drag her past a metal cell, like a regular cell. So my thought was, you know, right over there, like not five feet away from right, you, is right. a is a cell made out of metal. Bend that metal and cut through the wood bars. But although so far she hasn't been able to bend metal that's far away from her. Yeah, that's she's only been able to like she's had to really mostly get her hands on metal mm-hmm. to bend it, but. And I, I, I think, I think the wood thing makes sense. AJ, you're just being a putz. All right, I was just asking a question. <laughs> the given, the, given the limits to which we've seen, you know, bending can be pushed. Look, look. Okay, so this this series of episodes is all about us learning new uh, sort of offshoots of bending styles. And this episode, we get one. It's not wood bending. I'm sorry, AJ, but we did get sweat bending. Yes, that was actually pretty cool. That was pretty inventive. It was. It was, was that... kind of gross, especially when she like wipes her armpits and flings water at the camera. <laughs> but... Katara, you're a genius. A sweaty, stinky genius. Yeah, but it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked that. And, uh, and ingenious foreshadowing for the, the chapter yes, that followed. So. Yes. Uh, can we talk uh, about, the, before we get to Sparky Sparky Boom Man, can we talk about the fact that this is, if I'm correct, this is the only episode of Avatar, at least so far, where we get to see an animal shit? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that, um, yeah, that brought some, you know, I had some sweet memories of that. It was, it was just like working at the zoo again. Like, I'm not big on poop jokes, but I will admit the timing is pretty good. You're right, Hockey. This is bad. And then poop. Like that was as far as poop jokes go. That was that was a pretty good one. Well, in I, the in the in the previous chapter, we got to see uh, what everyone thought was Ang pooping in the spirit world. <laughs> True. <laughs> Fair enough. I I was very taken off guard by the by the bird poop. Scene. Yeah, that really. It, I was. It was, was it was straight up bird poop. Like it wasn't. There was, was. nothing. Yeah, there was, they like, they didn't conceal it at all. It was it was pretty amazing. So so standards on Nickelodeon, you can't see anyone die ever, but all the bird poop you want. Yeah. 
so much bird poop. Do you think? Do you think someone had to go and like fight with standards and practices for that <laughs> joke? Like I, I want to po- imagine the poop, they, they... the poop scene was so much more gratuitous before they they cut it down. <laughs> I, I'm imagining the one guy they, in the writers' room who was so passionate about this like two second poop joke and like he went he went to the network and had they had like a four hour meeting about it. This, l- listen, this bird poop is going to pay off several chapters down the line. Okay, <laughs> it's important. It has to happen. It is, it, 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 and, and, and Paul, Paul's not kidding, AJ. It, it's this very plot important that bird poop. It is poop bending. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, let's talk about Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Yeah. So one, that's as much as I've enjoyed calling him Sideways Eye Guy or Third Eye Blind <laughs> or all that. Sparky Sparky Boom Man. I, I they settle on Combustion Man at the end, but. It's, it's Sparky Sparky Boom Man. That is the proper name for him. <laughs> so Combustion Man is what I've always wanted to call him because I knew that was the name they eventually settled on. I had totally forgotten about Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Combustion had... Man is very much like... It's an X-Men name. It is absolutely like a 60s, 70s X-Men name. Well, I'm I, calling I, the other one. I had not realized that Cisco on The Flash is just a total <laughs> off of Sokka. Yes. Till this moment. Yes, it's beautiful. Sokka is Sokka presaged Cisco by giving <laughs> superhero names out. Oh, awesome. Yeah, um, but no. It, so he comes back and he he causes some more trouble and yeah, I don't really know if I have a lot to say. I'm I'm I, I his appearance is not as jarring this time. Like I had a bit of a it, it was a little taken aback by his perf- appearance last time. But uh, it seems you more... mean like just his presence or his yeah yeah I visual think when we talked about him not the visuals so much but when we talked about this before like it was a little much for me to accept like I could accept a lot on the show mm. about you know young kids bending the elements and all that but this dude just this all of a sudden in this fantasy fantasy show this sci-fi seeming character shows up like this cyborg who shoots lasers from his brain um, but uh, but no it didn't bother me as much this time. I, I he does make for very interesting visual fight scenes, which is something I really like. His power gives for some really cool stuff, and a lot of them running away from his lasers and the explosions that happen are are they handle them really really well, and it does it does break up the fight scenes that we've been seeing for a while a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say it um, because with all the other people that they've ever had to fight, the various bending styles, it it's usually like a stand up fight. Like, you know, it's one bender going against another or whatever. This guy, you have to freaking run from. Like, you can't just stand there and, and like, Katara can't waterbend a, a shield in front of her or whatever. Like, you just have to run the hell away from this guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a, a nice, like, heavy, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a beautiful little, um, uh, what the hell... Not not <laughs> Goliath and what the hell is David. the biblical thing? David, David and, and Goliath. David, thank wow, you. that God. was that was amazing. Yeah, I'll edit that out. <laughs> it was a beautiful <laughs> uh, David and Goliath thing when uh, like Toph throws that. I, I, when I was sort of reading reviews or whatever, when I was reading people's comments on this, nobody nobody talked as if they thought that this was deliberate. I like to feel like this was a deliberate thing that Toph did when she threw that huge boulder at him and he blows it up 
And then just the one little piece of shrapnel continues directly down the beam of his little whatever uh, and hits him, nails him right on the third eye like a bullet and sort of like jams his gun, basically. I, I thought that was beautiful. I've heard other people talk about it like that was just a happy, you know, a lucky happenstance, but I like to think that that was Toph's intention the whole time. What's your take, AJ? Luck or intention? I feel like I'm on a reality show. Now. <laughs> um, no, I feel like that was intention. I mean, it, it had to be, right? I thought it was luck, personally. Oh there man, man, we're split. So, oh my god, two against one, or two against one. We're right, you're wrong. But we're gonna need to go to a broker convention. To <laughs> I nominate Paul Ryan. <laughs> oh jeez. Um, all right. Any other thoughts on this one? No, this was this was definitely not one of my favorite episodes of the season, but it was also distracting. Yeah. So it was okay. It had it had it had moments, other than the immediate res opening, which is was bird poop. <laughs> but we got actual bird poop later, so it's okay. There you go. I I want to point out. Um, it's interesting to point out that the three episodes we're talking about tonight, all of them are, um, strictly a plot. Like, there's no B-plot in any of these. The The first one, uh, the Avatar and the Fire Lord, you could maybe make an argument that Aang's uh, vision quest was the A-plot and Zuko's um, The Last Will and Testament of Fire Lord Sozin was the B-plot, but they're so, uh, you know, intricately tied together. There, it was basically being told as one story, so I treated that as just a single plot. So all three of these chapters, uh, when I was doing my little synopsis of them, they're all A-plot. Man, all killer, no filler. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Which is odd coming off of that last episode we just talked about. But uh, let's move. <laughs> let's move on to uh, three hundred eight, the Puppet Master, AJ. Um, this episode came at the perfect time for me because I, I mean, I always love anything that is even remotely that remotely deals with witchcraft mm-hmm. or things like that. Um, and this, I, like, I've, I've been in the midst of reading, uh, I highly recommend, uh, the Archie series, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, mm-hmm. which takes every, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and does, like, a, like, a real, like, dark, mature take on, like, witches and spellcraft and all that. It's great, plus there's, uh, I, I have not had a chance to talk about this on any podcast I've been on, but there's this amazing horror movie out right now called The Witch, which is phenomenal. Go check it out. So, like, all this stuff is going on, and then I get to this episode um, uh, in which uh, Hama, the old lady that they meet in the woods, uh, is pretty much as close as the show is going to get to a witch. Uh, And I thought this was a pretty great episode. And it has perhaps the most despairing ending of any avatar episode even like th- there have been a couple endings just like or like oh no the future of so-and-so kingdom is is in jeopardy this one just straight up ends with Katara wailing and sobbing after she's been forced to do s- something completely horrible yeah. um yeah i was i was into this episode you guys yeah i mean we've been paul and i were talking before the show that this is the one one of the ones we've been waiting to get to because it's for a lot of reasons um but I'm glad that you you dug it too because we've been we've been wait we've been waiting for this to get here this one. It's 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 serious business this episode. It is. Yeah, it's uh 
like like I said before, we we talk. It seems like we talk a lot about how wow, wow, this epic this episode got really dark, especially for a you know a, a children's show. Um, there's no pussyfooting around in this one. This is a straight up. It, it, it's fascinating to me because I always think of this episode um, as the the darkest universe version of Scooby Doo. This this episode really this chapter really feels like a Scooby Doo episode. Oh my god, it does. But it goes super fucking black by the end. Um, and, and, and even like, and it starts getting there really fast. Like you you have the whole sort of like horror setup, and then. As soon as she starts telling her story, mm-hmm. it goes dark as hell yeah. right off. Well, I mean, it, it's so telling that the uh, the cruel, depraved prison that the Fire Nation keeps all the waterbenders in, that really, I mean, it's it's horrible, especially the way it's depicted with them, like, chained up and having to drink out of a bucket on the end of a stick or whatever. Uh, that is one of the least dark elements in what is perhaps the most straight-up, twisted creepy episode of the entire series you know we joked about um you know them having to argue with standards and practices over bird poop but seriously like again like eric said for we've talked before about how for nickelodeon show this the show can get pretty dark this i feel like i'm i was genuinely surprised by the by how dark and how disturbing this episode was i mean it just it disturbed me i am i am a grown man watching a nickelodeon cartoon and i was disturbed by it i wonder like how it's one of those things i almost wonder how they got it on the air like it's not it's not so depraved that it's like you know it's it makes your mind real but it's like how did this get on nickelodeon of all places (laughs) This this is the kind of episode and the kind of plotting I would expect in like anime, you know, like this is exactly this this episode. I get yeah, my experience with anime is, is much less than yours, Eric, but this did remind me of of an anime uh, show. And and honestly, when I say that I would expect on an anime, I would I would not be shocked to see something like this show up on an otherwise for kids anime show because they throw some weird fucking shit into kid stuff, which I love. But this is, I mean, the the power itself is dark, like the whole bloodbending thing is pretty scary they have a really unflinching look at the like horror of what the fire nation did to the water tribe Mm -hmm. after they attacked which i hadn't realized how bleak what they did was like how terrible what they did when they smashed the southern water tribe that was really bleak and then it basically ends by saying uh katara you won by losing so ha 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 yeah see ya and there's the phrase that stuck out to me in this episode that I think is going to stick with me for a long time is, and again, I just want to point out this happens on a Nickelodeon show. Uh, Hama is describing, you know, when she first realized she could bloodbend, she says she realizes that rats were basically just, I think the phrase is, uh, oh, uh, I've got this what's... somewhere. Uh, we're... Uh, the rats that scurried across the floor of my cage were nothing more than skins filled with liquid. Skins filled with liquid, which is the most serial killer sociopath <laughs> way of describing another <laughs> living being that I can think of. What I really like about this is that while the while she is clearly not a, you know, she's a horror movie villain, but mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, I don't really blame her. For her, and I don't either. I, That's the thing. I can't, I can't. 
I can't judge her for what she's doing. And the Avatar, and the Yang Gang does. The Yang Gang has this like you deserve to get locked up forever attitude. And I definitely have like I I'm mixed on how I feel about what she was doing. Well, see, the and I understand the Aang Gang's position too, because in the face fit, that is a pretty horrible thing. She's you know, quote unquote, possessing people and forcing them to do things beyond their will. Well, I think but their the, reaction probably comes mostly from the fact that Katara had just been violated, basically. True, but I think also the Aang Gang, they they've seen a lot of the bad the Fire Nation has done. Obviously, uh, Katara and Sokka's you know mother uh, is dead and everything. But I feel like. They have never had to deal explicitly with light. Like, they've never gone through what Hama went through. They weren't part of, like, the internment or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call that. Mm-hmm. So they've dealt with the, the awful things the Fire Nation has done, but never, never like, that kind of direct experience. Um, so I, I get their reaction, too. But at the same time, you're right, Eric. Uh, it's difficult to blame Hama for what she did and the fact that she is still trying to... Uh, take down as many of the she she I think she's going about it wrong though I feel like her whatever revenge she is trying to take like I, I don't know I, I don't know how much she, she accomplishes by being the scary old lady who possesses people her, her revenge has become kind of the like the um, selfish cruel and petty revenge yeah right you know like uh, she can't really see anything beyond that but I mean what what she's learned to do and what she's reacting against is effectively the genocide of her people. Right. You know, and I, and I do – okay, I hate to criticize an episode that I, I generally like, but I do think that's something that was missing. And this is a short episode, so you, you, know, you can't get to it all the time. But Aang, Aang has the most in common with her. Yes. You know, I mean, let's say, okay, obviously Katara and, and Sokka are part of the Water Tribe and they're living in the, in the sort of shadow of what happened. But that said, Aang is also someone who – whose people are basically wiped out as, and shares a lot of that bitterness, fear, and anger from it. So I feel like there was a conversation between the two of those characters that would have been interesting to see. I, oh, I, that would have been fascinating. I agree. I, I had also thought that if they'd had more time, if this had been a you know, a two-part episode or if it had been more than 22 minutes long, um, ultimately I feel like Aang's reaction probably would have ended up being what it was, and I think that's because of what happens to Katara. I really think that they, you know, no matter how they f- would end up feeling about Hama, the fact that she does to Katara what she does, they would have, you know, put her down. But I would have loved to see a little bit, a little bit more hand-wringing or whatever from Aang. Especially because they hand her over to the Fire Nation. It's not just that they yes. stop her. They hand oh, her over wow, to the Fire yeah. Nation. Yes. And that's the part that I think was like... That- bothers me about their like reaction to it is that i don't know man like i don't know like the fire nation's like you're gonna be locked up for the rest of your life like i don't know that creeped me out oh wow yeah i you know honestly i hadn't even thought of the implication there um yeah that hmm that's a little troubling so so while we're pondering the the you know the troubling moral ambiguity of this um i i do want to say that i enjoy the fact that we finally get we've gotten we've gotten villains from various walks of life in this series but primarily we've seen like you know fire nation as the bad guys so i love the fact that the quote-unquote villain of this episode is not only a waterbender but a member you know from the southern water tribe the the last remaining waterbender right A, a woman who was actually friends with Sokka and katara's grandmother 
Yeah, um, a lot. All three of these episodes, and I, you know, a lot of the series, but in particular, all three of these episodes have dealt with the past, right? Uh, in some way, yeah, I like and that with family, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think this really, I like the way that this parallels the lesson that Aang was learning in uh, the Avatar and the Fire Lord. The whole, you know, that it's that people aren't necessarily good or evil; they're either in balance or out of balance. Um, that, you know, people can do good or evil no matter what, you know, nation or tribe or whatever that they come from. Um, yeah. And following up his his whole speech about how, you know, I think what Roku was trying to say is we need to, that everybody, even, uh, you know, even the Fire Lord and the Fire Nation needs to be treated as if they have, you know, as if they have the ability to be good. And then that gets echoed here because we find out that just because you're from the Southern Water Tribe doesn't mean you can't do horrible shit. Yeah. Yeah, very true. But but look, look, enough of this dark shit. Can we talk about what a fucking badass core um uh badass uh oh my god, Katara, Katara. is in this episode? Like yeah. Oh yeah, she, she is. Like she's always been like she's been stepping up her game, but this is like some next level Katara ass kicking going on here. Yes. Absolutely. And and it's I mean like and that is before she figures out bloodbending on her own to save her friends, like it is a straight up awesome waterbending battle. She's pulling water out of the grass. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's awesome. I was I was I. That's like one of the things I do remember from this episode coming back was I do remember this was the point when it was like Katara is basically the most powerful member of the group and is unstoppable. I mean like yeah, kind of. Toph is Toph is like a ridiculously master earthbender, but. Like there's a level at which Katara is just completely unstoppable when she wants to when she wants to fight. Yeah, I mean you you certainly don't want to fight her on a full moon. <laughs> is so, Paul. Without being spoiler, I have a question because I can't remember. Do we ever see bloodbending again um, in in the show? In in Avatar? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I couldn't remember. Yes, we do. Um... Yeah, uh, the less said about that, the better. Um, okay. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah. So in in the previous chapter in in uh, uh, the Runaway, I we were talking about sweat bending, and I said that it was brilliant foreshadowing of what was about to come up in the next chapter. Um, I that was that was beautiful. It's you know it might have been. I don't know if it would have been more perfect or less perfect if it had happened two episodes ago instead of the episode immediately before this. But still, just the fact that we go from she learns that, oh, my God, she can bend the water from her own body. And then we go straight into this. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I also feel like this episode addresses questions that a lot of viewers probably had about waterbenders the entire time. In fact, remind me guys, because I'm not sure if I imagined this or if in the process of doing this show, we have ever brought up questions like this, like, you know, couldn't Katara uh, have, have any of us ever mentioned, I know I wouldn't have because I didn't want to spoil the whole bloodbending thing, but like AJ had you, did you ever ask or did you ever stop to consider why can't Katara just bend the spit out of that guy's mouth or whatever? You know, I, I don't think so. Okay. Because I was focused on so much of the rest of the show that, uh, yeah, the apparently I only get down to that level when I'm like, why can't tough bend trees? <laughs> uh, that's the only time I ever think about that. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Um, one of the enduring visual images from this episode for me has always been the uh, the field of fire lilies when uh, when Hama first demonstrates that you can draw water yeah. first out of the air. That was creepy. But then when she like waves her arm, an entire swath of the field just turns black. And then she slices that rock into a bunch of pieces. Oh, yeah. That's such a cool visual. So it didn't really... I mean, we got enough of a of a horror show. The, you know, the, the consequences for Katara at the end of that fight, that was horrific enough. I mean, that was bad enough. But I, I kind of wish that the camera had pulled back just a little bit. I mean, we got that scene of them, uh, of Hama decimating the field of poppies. But then during that fight... They both, Hama and Katara, both are sucking water out of all the trees and the grass and everything around them. And I, I kind of wish the camera had just pulled back to see the, the fucking, you know, devastation that they had caused in their wake in that right. fight. Did you all notice that we basically, on top of not getting a B plot, we basically didn't advance the plot at all in these three episodes? And they're great episodes. I have that's not a complaint, but. As far as like what you would normally consider plot advancement, basically didn't happen. I feel we got like some... I feel like we're still early enough in the season that that's not a momentum killer. Like it's still it, time to do these things, and it's not. I mean, it, it what we learn is really important. I think everything we gain gives foundation for what would be more interesting plot development. But it is bold to spend three episodes, and actually, if you go back to the beach, we've basically gotten four episodes that have been in existence primarily to give foundation to the existing characters that are not about pushing things forward on a plot level and but I have think been giving that's been, foundation. I think it's been really effective too, unlike uh, for example the beginning of last season, which began to tread some water and it felt it really did feel like filler. Whereas this, you're right, the plot is not being advanced, but we're learning so many new and important things about the characters in the world that it still feels pretty important. Yeah. And I bring it up now because I'm pretty sure shit's about to get plotty <laughs> from here on out. But I, but I, I think that the reason a lot of the plotting that is to come is impactful is because they do an impeccable job at the beginning of the season of setting up a lot of really important things in the characters in their backstories in the world's backstories and in their motivations that get us there. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that the, even like the closest thing to a plot reveal that we get, which is that Zuko's um, related to Roku, like that piece is the closest to plot that we get. I'm not even sure that lands without the beach, you know, without mm -hmm. the, the character development of the beach that doesn't land. And and what do you do with Zuko's arc without taking the time to do those kinds of things? So I agree with you, AJ. It's not, it doesn't feel like treading water. I, I give this show a lot of credit for spending this long on not episodes of the week in the way that season two did, but some really serious character development and, and without even a B plot to keep things lively. We're not getting any kind of like machinations of, of Azula or anything. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty impressive that they managed to pull this off in the, the uh, not quite the home stretch of the entire series. But I mean, at this point, they knew that this was the final season. This is the last book that they're going to do. Um, so it's pretty impressive that they took the time, not only that they would try to take the time at this point in the series to spend this length, you know, th this number of episodes in a row not advancing the plot, but that they did it so successfully. 
So. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. Um, anything else? I want to point out this episode originally aired on October 25th, 2007. So this was very much their Halloween episode. I was nice. wondering that. I was wondering that. That's really cool. It was nice. They would have gotten away with it too, if not for those <laughs> skins filled with liquid. <laughs> oh, man. Skins filled with liquid. Aren't we all just skins filled with liquid? We really are. We really are. Mm. Um, all right. Yeah. So aside from being, uh, truly genuinely horrified by some of the images that happened in this, like Katara being twisted around like a puppet. Um, yeah. any, anything else we have to say about this or any of these episodes? I liked them. En- enjoy this calm that you've had <laughs> yours. This is the calm before the storm. Oh my this goodness. is the calm because wow. we're getting, we're getting serious from here on out. Stuff's about to go down. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I look forward to it. Well, AJ, I'm proud of you that you survived this episode. Thank you. Good job, I just want man. everyone at home to know, I got on the phone with Paul and Eric uh, <laughs> at the beginning of this, and they immediately both of them were like, uh, you probably shouldn't do this. <laughs> yes, this, this uh, podcast almost did not happen. <laughs> but I, I persevered, you guys. Good job. I'm, I'm going to go die. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, uh, AJ, for surviving. Thank you, Eric, for returning from your uh, your exile to the West. And uh, thank you, everybody at home, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at our website, theavatarreturns.com, and links will also be posted on the Parent Show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com, or just subscribe to the show on iTunes, and every episode will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur. Feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always find us on social media. You can like us on Facebook for all of our updates or follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon. That's S-A-A-L-O-N. And AJ is at unplugged crazy. Uh, next week, we get our war faces on. Stuff gets serious, as uh, Eric alluded to. Uh, chapters 309 through 311. That's nightmares and daydreams. The Day of Black Sun Part 1, The Invasion, and The Day of Black Sun Part 2, The Eclipse. So, until then, remember, the moon spirit is a gentle, loving lady. She rules the sky with compassion and lunar goodness. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey! Now we got shine